Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Some of you know me as the guy who has the hair like Jesus. But to formally introduce myself, I'm Jonathan Miller. I've been a member of this church since 2020. My family and I moved down here from Inwood, West Virginia to Louisville, North Carolina in January 2020. God led us down here after spending most of our lives in West Virginia. I was burned out at my job and was looking for new ministry opportunities. That's when God brought it into my mind to come back to North Carolina. I went to college here in the Triad at High Point University, and I still had some friends who lived in the area. After searching for some jobs and reviewing options with my wife, I received the offer at the current job I have, and God gave us his peace about making the move. One thing I didn't know was what ministry opportunities lay ahead for me. God was leading me into church planting and to do bivocational ministry. He was also convicting me that in order to do this bivocational church planting, I needed to partner with a good sending church had a heart for multiplication and collaboration, but we had no relationships with any ministry organization or any church before leaving West Virginia. We just had God's peace that he had all this in store for us when we got down here, and did he ever. Soon after arriving, God led us to Redemption Hill. We knew nothing about Redemption Hill before leaving West Virginia, but upon becoming a part of this church family, we quickly realized that RHC was a church that had the same passions and desires that we had. RHC and its elders have a heart for sending church planters, for multiplying churches in the area in order to reach every man, woman, and child, and for collaborating with other churches in order to reach everyone. I like to say we hit a gold mine when we got down here. Since then, I've been a part of our church's bi-weekly multiply cohort. My wife and I have graduated from Christ Together's Triad Church Multiplication Initiative Church Planning Residency, and now we are on the cusp of being sent out as RHC's church planters in Louisville. Our goal is to plant a church that loves Jesus and loves everyone everywhere. If it is said of the church that we plant by those who interact with us, that we love Jesus and love everyone, then we have planted a good and faithful church. We want to love the people of Louisville as Jesus has loved us by telling them about him and by teaching them God's word. Our desire is to see everyone everywhere believe in Jesus and live for him. Some ways we are doing that now is by visiting our neighbors and building relationships in the community by hanging out at local restaurants like Antonio's. We are loving our neighbors, building relationships, and enjoying some good food in the process. But we aren't doing this alone. We have the love and support of you, our RHC church family. Thank you so much for all you've done for us so far on this journey. Your faithful giving has helped put us through the church planning residency and get the necessary training we need to be sent out. We also have some great partners from RHC like Chris and Kristen Lee and Scott and Sarah Park and their sons, Nathan, Josiah, and Isaac. God has led them to partner with us on this journey and we are very grateful for their help. They are truly an answer to our prayers. And speaking of prayers, I ask that each one of you pray for us as we seek to plant a strong and healthy church in Louisville. So I was going to wear the same shirt that I wore in the video to make it look like I just shot the video and then came out here to preach, but my wife told me uh, that would look like I wear the same clothes all the time. So I have a different blue shirt on. It is my favorite color, um, but please pray for my wife. She can't be here today. She's not feeling well, um, but uh, let me get to where our message is at today. So we're going to be in Galatians 2.21. So while you're taking time to find that passage in your Bible, 
Uh, let me just say this. What a wonderful job Clint did last week. You guys are sending out two awesome church planters. Clint and Taylor are smart and eloquent. I'm just the one with the good looks and the nice hair. But enough of the hair jokes, and let me go ahead and uh, touch on my message a little bit here. So for, the title of my message is The Necessity of the Cross. The one thing I want you to take away from today's message is this. Jesus' death is proof that we can't be good enough to get to heaven. So as I go through my message today, I'll ask some questions. Some will be uh, reflective, where you just think about them in your heart and mind and answer them for yourself in, internally. Some of them I will ask you to participate. Um, now, if you get that backwards and you participate on the reflective questions and don't participate on the ones you're supposed to, it's okay. You just can't come back next Sunday. Um, but seriously, if you do that, don't worry about that. I enjoy the participation and the audience participation can help you know, make things more comfortable for me. So before I get started, let me pray and then we'll get into the text. Father, Please fill me with your spirit as I teach and preach your word so that I will do it as you do, Father, with grace and truth, love, mercy, compassion, understanding, power, boldness, and gentleness, Father. And please fill all of those listening here today, Father, with your spirit so that they will gain the wisdom that's in your word. And this wisdom that you have for us, Father, will be used to glorify you, to grow closer with you, to become more like you, to conquer our sins, to witness for you as you witness for us, serve you as you serve us, lead for you as you lead us. Love everyone, Father, as you have loved us. Love each other as you have loved us, and love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray these things. Amen. So Galatians 2.21 is the text. Uh, before I read it, just a little background on the book of Galatians. So Paul is the writer of this book. Paul lived about 2,000 years ago. He was one of the first Christians, one of the first believers. He was an apostle as well, one of the leaders of the first church. And he um, would go around after believing in Jesus and tell people all over the Roman Empire about who Jesus was. And then when they would believe in him, a church would be started, which is very similar to what Clint Taylor and I are doing. So when a church was started, Paul would then go on somewhere else in the Roman Empire, but he would write back to those churches to either address questions that they had or issues that they had or to help encourage them in their walk with Jesus. The letter to the Galatians, or the book of Galatians as we call it, is one of those letters that was written to the church in Galatia. And the church in Galatia was struggling with this grave error, which was that they believed that they could be saved by following the law. So Paul is writing to address this grave error in the church in Galatia, which is located in modern-day Turkey today. So let me read um, verse uh, 21 in chapter 2. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So this is what Paul is combating here, the idea that they could be saved by following the law. So the term righteousness there is what he's referring to. If righteousness or if salvation were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So we may say that is salvation, being saved, being right with God, or as I mentioned earlier, like getting to heaven. So that's what Paul is talking about here. And this is, again, the error that the Galatian church had, which is they believed that they could be saved by following the law. But that word nullify could also be translated reject. So let's read it that way. I do not reject the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. 
Does that jump out at you more? Use the word reject. No, it does for me. Gives you a little more meaning, a little sharper meaning. Has a stronger connotation. And then the words no purpose, they can also mean for nothing or useless or worthless. So let's read it that way. I do not reject the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Or we could say, Christ's death was useless. We could say, I do not reject the grace of God, for if we were saved through the law, then Christ's death was worthless. How's that feel now? Stronger connotation, stronger meaning. Yeah, it jumps out at me even more, thinking that Jesus' death was useless, was worthless. So Paul is telling us two things in this verse. First, he's telling us, if you believe you can be right with God by following the law, then you are rejecting God's grace. And he's also telling us that if we could be right with God by following the law, then Jesus died in vain, or his death was useless. It was worthless. It meant nothing. Those are very strong words coming from Paul, very strong admonitions to the church in Galatia, and it's for us today. It's not just for those who lived in that Mediterranean region 2,000 years ago. It's for us today. To help you understand it a little bit better, I also want to go into what he means by the law. So whenever you think about he says here, if righteousness were by the law, or if you were saved through the law or by the law. So to simply put the law... What he's referring to here is think of the Ten Commandments. Now, the law is actually more technically almost all the book of Exodus and then Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Four out of the first five books of the Bible, which has hundreds of commandments given to the nation of Israel to follow. But at its very core and at its very foundation is the Ten Commandments. God revealed himself to the nation of Israel on Mount Sinai thousands of years ago in smoke and fire. He actually spoke these Ten Commandments in their hearing. They actually heard them. They saw the smoke and the fire, and they heard the voice of God. So it's the foundation. It's a very pivotal moment in the nation's history, and it's something that uh, they, they held dearly, and it, it formed the basis for everything God was going to teach them after that. So whenever Paul says the law, just think of the Ten Commandments. Now here's the participating part. Can anyone here name one of the Ten Commandments? Now the first service named seven out of ten, so that's pretty good. See if you can get eight out of ten. Anyone? Idols? Sorry? Sound steel. There we go. I think, was that six? Don't lie. There we go. I think somebody missed it. Don't kill. Yeah, murder. Keep the Sabbath. Parents. No other gods. Love your God. Yes. What's that? Yep. No adultery. And we're getting there. What is it? Are we? We're at eight. All right. Well done. Good job, Charles. Thanks for counting. <laughs> um, so don't covet. There we go. Got to get the last one in there. That one's... So, so we, you guys did an excellent job. Let me just review them. I'll read them from Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 through 17. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Two, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That was number three. Number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Number five, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Six, you shall not murder. Seven, you shall not commit adultery. Eight, you shall not steal. Nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Ten, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So that's the Ten Commandments. Because did a great job getting those. That lays the foundation for the Old Testament law, and this is what Paul is speaking of and what the Jews or the Galatian church was trying to follow at that time when he writes Galatians 2.21. So they were trying to keep all of this in an effort to be saved, be right with God, get to heaven. But as Paul pointed out in Galatians 2.21, if you do that, you're rejecting God's grace. So what are some ways that we can reject God's grace? Well, first, following the Old Testament law, like we've talked about, following the Ten Commandments. That was the error the Galatian church was committing, and it's an error that we can still commit today. They missed this point. The purpose of the law, the Ten Commandments, was never to save. It was never given to make you right with God, to say, if you follow these things, you're going to be good and you'll get to heaven. The purpose was to reveal our sin to us. Paul says in Romans 3.20, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So it's the knowledge of sin that the Ten Commandments give us, not salvation. And so what are some ways that we know sin through what we just read and talked about with those Ten Commandments? Well, let's take the Sixth Commandment, for instance. You shall not murder. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 21 through 22, if you've been angry with someone in your heart, you've committed murder in your heart. Guilty. Let's take the seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 28, if you've ever lusted after someone in your heart, then you've committed adultery in your heart. Guilty. So see, the purpose of the law is to reveal our sin to us And it not only deals with our behaviors, but even the thoughts and intents of our heart, our desires, what we're thinking and feeling. It's hard. Could anyone keep that? Could you keep that? I know I can't. It's impossible. It's an impossible task, and that's the point. The point is to reveal our sin to us to show that we can receive God's grace, which is his son, Jesus, so we can receive Jesus. However... Like Paul has already pointed out to us, if you believe you can be saved through the works of the law by following the law, you reject God's grace. What are some other ways that we can reject God's grace? Well, some of you here today are probably like, well, you know, the Old Testament law, 
I know that I don't need to follow that. That's old. Like, we don't deal with that. You know, it's in the Old Testament. We live in the New Testament times. You know, the book we probably spend the most time in, the shorter side of the Bible. Um, well, what are some laws that we may try to follow in the New Testament? What about the golden rule? You're treating others as you want to be treated. Is that something that we may do in order to try to be right with God, to be saved? What about church attendance? It's like being a part of a church, joining a church of, of any denomination. Is that something that we may try to do to say, well, I'm a member of this church, so I'm good with God? Or membership in a church? Church participation? I am active in all the activities or in some of the activities that a church does or the church that I'm a member of. Is that a way that we try to be right with God, that we try to say, I'm good enough to be with you, to be in heaven, to be in your presence? Or baptism. Is that a way in which we say, I'm right with God because I've been baptized? Just like with following the Old Testament law, if we try to do any of these things that I've mentioned here to be right with God, to get to heaven, then we reject God's grace. What's another way? Well, being a good person. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're thinking, well, um, I'm not religious. I don't really follow any of these things you're talking about. You know, it's not my thing. But, you know, I'm a good person. I think my good will outweigh my bad. Um, you know, this thing about my thoughts and things like that, that just seems crazy. Well, if you can't follow the Old Testament law or the New Testament law, but you're following something else, you're still seeking to be right with God or do something by your own standard, whether it's what you've created yourself or some other standard, it's still the same as trying to do it through the religious way. It just may be not religious. And that's just another way of rejecting God's grace. Because when you think you can be good enough to enter his presence, then you're rejecting God's grace. See, there is no other way. That's what we're learning here in Galatians 2.21. That's what the law is telling us. That's what Paul is trying to reveal to the Galatian church and what God is saying to us today. Is that if there was another way, if there was another law, another standard, whether it's your own or someone else's, or whether it's in the Bible or not, it would have been the Old Testament law. Paul says in Galatians 3.21, Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. You would be saved by those Ten Commandments. Anything you could think of, any way to be saved, any, any good that you think you can do, couldn't surpass the good that God laid out in those Ten Commandments. So if we were going to be saved in any way, it would have been those. But that's not the purpose of it. So that's what Paul's telling the Galatian church. The law would have been the way, but it's not. There is no other way but through Jesus. He's the only way. Consider this. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was crucified, prayed not once, but twice, that if it were possible, that God would take this cup of suffering that he was about ready to drink away. Take it away, never have to endure it. It's hard to imagine what Jesus is going through there and all that he was 
seeing that he was going to have to endure, but in his desire to not have to do it for how detrimental it was going to be and this, this pain and suffering he was going to endure, the separation from God the Father, he asked if it was possible for God to take that from him. So he prayed in Matthew 26, 39, and going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And the second time, Matthew 26, 42, again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. So not once but twice he asked for that. And if there was another way, God would have said, Sure. Just let them follow the Ten Commandments. Just let them be good. Be who they are. They're good without the way they're bad. No. There was no other way. Jesus is the only way. Him taking on that penalty for us. Him dying that death that we deserve. That was the only way. It's the only way to be right with God is through what he did for us and then believing in that. So whether you believe in following the law, the New Testament, being good or any other rule or standard that you may have for yourself, if you believe in any of those things to get you to heaven, to make you right with God, you are rejecting God's grace. And when you reject his grace, you are rejecting his love. And if you reject his love and his grace, you're rejecting his son. Probably the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And then in John 1.17, it says, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So if you believe this when you stand before God claiming that your good will outweigh your bad, or that you claim you've kept the law, or you claim that you're good enough to get into heaven just because you're, what you've done, God will say, you reject my grace, you reject my love. You reject my son. Remember my son's prayer in Gethsemane. Remember my son's pain and suffering on the cross. I gave him for you, but you have rejected him. What are you going to say then? Do any of these ways that we've described of rejecting God's grace describe who you are today? What you're believing in, what you're trusting in. If they do, then turn from that. Set them aside and believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus for your salvation. At this very moment, if you do that, you will be set free. You will receive everlasting life, and you will enjoy one day the resurrection that Jesus has and has today. Now, some of you here today None of this applies to you for you're a believer. You've already been saved by grace through faith, and that's wonderful. I know there's many of you here like that. But you could possibly be enslaved to this idea of being faithful by living perfect. I know I've struggled with that in my walk with Jesus that, hey, if I'm going to be faithful, I need to be perfect. So you get, kind of get wrapped back up in this idea of you know, law following and being good and never sinning, right? Like, oh, if I... I sin, I've been unfaithful, I'm not going to please God, I'm going to live in condemnation, live under that. But let me tell you that faithful living isn't perfection. The law reveals that to us, 
Our hearts and minds are still sinful right now. We're awaiting that day when we're going to be resurrected, when we will be perfect. But faithful living in this life isn't perfection. It's believing in Jesus only for salvation and living for him by loving him and loving everyone. If you do that, you've lived a faithful, faithful life. And that's just something that our hearts are set on from the moment we believe in him and continue on. And we have to continue to tell ourselves that each and every day, all day long, for it's a tough world out there. It's a sinful world. It's a hard place. There's plenty of challenges and temptations that can draw us away from that. But I hope that will encourage you. It encourages me to know this truth and believe it and try to, to live that every day by just remembering these truths. Or you may be listening online or you may be here today and you're just an unbeliever. You don't believe any of this stuff about Jesus. You don't know what I'm talking about. It doesn't make any sense to you whatsoever. It's foolishness to you. Well, I can tell you, as sure as I'm standing here and as you're sitting there, Jesus is alive. He really did live, he really did die, and he really did rise from the grave. I believe with all my heart, and through faith in him, when you believe in him, you will have everlasting life. It's something that I hope you will put on the front burner of your life, that you will answer this question, did he really rise from the grave? Make that a front burner question in your life. Search to see if that's true. A good place to start is in the first-hand accounts of his life, like maybe the book of Mark or the book of John, which I've quoted from already. He's given first-hand accounts of his life, and we have Bibles here that you can take with you to read one of those books and begin your journey and exploration into that question, did he really rise from the grave? You won't be disappointed. So let me just return to the text, and then I'll close. So, We've been discussing here Galatians 2.21, which reads, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So we've went over these two things that Paul's revealed to us, God's revealed to us in, in his word. That's not only just for the Galatian church back then, but for us today. That if you believe you can be good enough to get to heaven by doing good, whatever that may be, you reject God's grace. Paul is also telling us that if that were true, that you could be good enough to get to heaven by following the law, the Ten Commandments, then Jesus' death is useless. It's worthless. But that goes to the title of my message. The cross is absolutely necessary, 100% absolutely necessary from what Paul is telling us here. Jesus' death was not useless. It was not worthless. There's no other way. We're hopeless without him. We have no hope. We have no joy. We have no peace. He's the only way we can be saved. And his very death proves that. Jesus' death is proof that you can't be good enough to get to heaven. Take all the other things I've said here today, talking about the law and the Ten Commandments and all that. Just throw that out. Just the fact that he lived and died is proof that you can't be good enough to get to heaven. His very existence, his very crucifixion is proof of that. And to think otherwise, you're rejecting God's grace and you're counting his death as useless, as worthless. Let that not be so for you. How then shall we live in light of this truth? Here's three ways. So first, believe it. Believe that Jesus is the only way. Believe that you can only be right with God through faith in his name. That's the only way. 
then surrender to that. Surrender to his Holy Spirit. Surrender to that belief. For when the word of God goes forth, he does convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. And I believe that every time that happens, the, the word of God is shared, that happens every single time. I know he's working in all of our hearts now, stirring us, convicting us, challenging us. So surrender to that. Surrender to this belief. Surrender to this truth. Last, obey him. Just obey it. Once you believe it, once you surrender to it, just obey. And here's three practical ways that you can obey this truth in your life today. First, tell yourself this truth. If you believe it and surrender to it, tell yourself this truth. You talk to yourself more than anyone else does. You're always talking to yourself. You're always having conversations with yourself. Tell yourself this truth each and every day. Four, you have to constantly remind yourself, for, like we talked earlier, you're, you're living in a sinful world. It's tough out there. It's easy to forget these things. There's all kinds of things coming at you each and every day. Social media, the internet, television, movies, all kinds of things coming at you each and every day that will tell you otherwise, that will lead you in other directions. So tell yourself this truth each and every day. Tell yourself that Jesus' death is proof that we can't be good enough to get to heaven, that faith in him is the only way to be right with God. Tell others this truth. That's another way you can practically live this out. Maybe it's a family member, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker. It's a great way to live out this truth. After you tell yourself, tell others. Tell others that Jesus' death is proof that we can't be good enough to get to heaven. Tell others that we can only be right with God through faith in Jesus' name. And lastly, just rest and trust in this truth. When you believe it and receive it, surrender to it, the peace of God enters your heart, and the joy of God enters your heart, and you have peace that goes beyond all understanding and joy that can't even be spoken. And those of you who have experienced that, like I have, you can, you can relate to that. Like, even if you're a very expressive person, it's, to explain the joy of God and to be able to even describe what that peace is like, it just... No matter what the situation is, the understanding that you may be trying to make of a situation, his peace surpasses that, and his joy is just indescribable. And enjoy that. Enjoy that, that peace and that joy by resting and trusting in this truth that we can't be good enough to get to heaven. His death is proof of that, and that he is the only way to be right with God.